It's a mean world out there. And it's a mean rage. Let's change the culture. Let's change the way we think about this world. Let's have a hell of a time doing it. Welcome to Mean Age Daydream, a home for comedy, a home for some politics, and a daydream of a world that doesn't suck. I'm Brian McWilliams. Welcome to this mad world. What's up, you kids in the hall? Yes, you too can be a kid in the hall. Not like the old meme, what's up, fellow kids? Uh, But uh, a legitimate child in the hall playing, enjoying your everyday lives. Of course, I am Brian McWilliams welcoming you to this little school that I run here, a little house on the prairie, where, uh, of course, who was the guy in that? guy, whatever, that molded bastard, a little house on the prairie. And I'm running across a field of flowers to hug all of you and welcome you into today's show here on Mean Age Daydream. So welcome, everybody. I'm a little out of sorts, I'm going to be honest with you. I, uh, man, fighting, fighting some depression today because I am just going through a, a shit fest at work. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, it's hard to concentrate because I got to fit all my concentration time on, uh, on bringing home the big bucks. And it, uh, sometimes this biz, you know, I do public relations. You just hit a rut. You hit a rut where you can't seem to get a break. You can't seem to break through. And, uh, and that's where I am right now. And it's really frustrating me. So I'm going to try to uh, to focus on this topic right now and quiet the little demons in the back of my head that are whispering, Brian, you're not good enough. <laughs> but they're always there. Don't worry. In the bedroom, walking the streets, driving the car, which is why uh, I routinely run over pedestrians. So anyway, guys, welcome to the show. You know, but talk about kids in the hall because I wanted to discuss one of my favorite all-time shows, right? I talk about sketch comedy that I hate. I talk about comedy that I love. I want to tell you that the Kids in the Hall, Canadian sketch comedy troupe, one of the greatest sketch comedy shows that has ever existed in the history of mankind, has made a comeback on Amazon Prime. Now, this is excellent news, number one, because they can curse, and they have and, and will. They also showcase quite a bit of male nudity. I will say that. A couple of cocks right in that first episode. But if you can get past all the wangage, or ladies, if you really want to tune in for the wangage, it is a show that has not missed a beat because what they were known for before was absurdist comedy coming out of left field. And they basically didn't really focus too much on political stuff, on current event stuff. It was more absurdist. It was more concepts in the world. It was more uh, zany, untold stories of woe, right? Because many of these stories that they tell have a tragic ending or a hilarious ending. I'll give you an example, right, of this absurdist comedy. A guy is a writer, right? He comes home and he's a wannabe writer and he is obsessed with William Shakespeare. So he gets back to his house and he talks to his bust of William Shakespeare. And he's like, oh, you great poet, you great bard. How I wish you were alive today, right? And he goes to bed and a lightning bolt comes through the mirror, or not the mirror, comes through the window and it strikes the bust of William Shakespeare. And it brings him to life. And oh my God, isn't this incredible? And Shakespeare wakes up and he goes, oh, yes, sir, thank you. Oh, wonderful to see you, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they talk for a moment before Shakespeare's arms just start spurting blood everywhere because he is in fact a bust. And this man has wished for the bust of William Shakespeare to come to life. And um, yeah, hilarity ensues. And he's shoving his intestines in. And then, and then it gets into William Shakespeare just becoming 
the everyday schlub entertained by videos of people falling and hitting their nutsacks, as probably a Shakespeare today would do. But it brings up a pretty funny point, not only in that it's the absurdity of the moment, right? What if this what if this wish happened and the obvious conclusion there, but also that what do we think of these great members of the past, right, who had nothing really to do other than write? And I often wanted that myself. If I needed to go off in the middle of the woods, misery style, you know, have some crazy old bitch put a uh, block between my ankles and crush them with a sledgehammer. Great movie, by the way, if you haven't seen Misery. Written by Stephen King, known leftist dipshit, but still a fantastic film. Uh, but, you know, do I need that kind of thing to really get my head right? Uh, you know, do I need to get away from the distractions? Do I need to find a way to cut out all of the social medias, all of the dings and whistles and bells. So it's funny to say that in a current era, Shakespeare would simply be watching balls getting knocked around. And that's one one example of many. But the show, which I highly encourage you to check out, really surprised me by not going big into the wokeness because that seems to be everything that's being approved nowadays. It has to have some sort of social message. And of course, these are also, you know, pure white cast. Right? That's a taboo. You, know, you can't have that anymore, but these guys are legacies, I suppose, coming in and doing comedy that is not in any way placating the uber leftists that are running these networks. So anyway, check it out. I think you're going to like it. One of the best theme songs in the history of the world, by the way, shadowy men on a shadowy planet. Um, yeah, I just, man, I, I can't love it enough. And the one thing that I will say is a bit ironic in the show is they've got these segments with friends of the kids in the hall and the friends of the kids in the hall is their sketch comedy artist. You know, you got, uh, what's that guy's name? Keenan or whatever from Keenan and Kel that's on the, the Senate live. Now you've got Pete Davidson did a sketch. Samantha B that awful hack was on there doing a sketch and this friends of the kids in the hall. They're not playing themselves. They're playing other characters that are supposed to be goofy kind of doofuses that are their fan base. But I couldn't help noticing that the people on there are these utterly leftist hack comedians that have lost all semblance of comedy on shows like SNL. You know, sketch covers that appreciate, they want to be on the kids in the hall because they appreciate it much as I do, how genius this program was, how how they pushed the boundaries of what comedy was while still being exceptionally funny. And as I've already argued before, woke comedy doesn't work. It ceases to be comedy and simply is woke. Uh, and preaches rather than being funny or clever. The kids in the hall are emphatically funny and clever and straight out of left field. You don't see many of the twists and turns coming. So I couldn't help but shake my head, though, looking at these members of prominent cast, prominent shows on right now that have abandoned their due, uh, I'd say their duty to the comedic arts, appear on this show and do so I guess without any sense of shame. If it was me, I would be ashamed to look any of the kids in the hall in the eye, the Kevin McDonald's of the world, the Dave Foley's of the world, the Bruce McCullough's of the world. I wouldn't be able to look a single one of them in the eye knowing that I had sold out my craft on the altar of leftism. But hey, maybe this will start a revolution. Maybe this will be the rolling snowball, you know, the little one at the top of the hill that rolls down and starts to change things for the better. Because as I have said time and time again, I do think that we are seeing a cultural shift back. I think you're seeing people 
start to wake up, start to push away. You're seeing this in people flying and flocking away from Netflix and other programs to try to find better programming that doesn't really cater to this leftism. And even in Netflix itself, did you guys see Netflix put out a memo, a cultural memo? So even they see it in their own being, in their own existence. And don't make any mistake, it is distinctly linked to the drop in subscription base at Netflix. That Netflix put out a memo to its wokesters, to the uh, the trans activists and the BLMers and everybody else that takes umbrage with Dave Chappelle's special or says that they need to have exclusionary uh, programs just for the trans people out there run by trans, written by trans, you know, whatever it might be. Things that go counter completely to the marketplace, what the marketplace wants, the mass audiences, which is who you're trying to attract predominantly rather than make niche programming. I remember, I think it was, must have been a year ago now, how I was laughing at a Hollywood Reporter article where they interviewed all these different people on what the entertainment industry needed. And, you know, you got people out there like, you know, well, we need more Native American films made for Native Americans by Native Americans. You know, okay, well, I mean, I guess, but try getting backing for that and try making all this content for a very small segment of the population that is not going to be applicable to the broader populace at a large is going to pay for it. And I don't see how that's going to be feasible. And that kind of plays out across the board. So Netflix sent a thing basically as a member of their culture out and it laid out bare. If you have a problem with what we're doing, tough titties. You may find employment elsewhere. We will not be placating you. Maybe you should look for somewhere that suits your particular feelings, right? Because all these corporations now, they had paid too much attention to the feelings of their employees rather than, and I'm sorry, this is the way the world should work, viewing them as employees. Your job as an employee is to find, give feedback in a respectable manner if you think it's going to, ha- to aid the company. It's not to give feedback in a way that's going to damage the company because your fucking butt hurt that something got put out that you didn't personally approve of, which is how it rolled out with Netflix, which is how it rolls out with all these different corporations that are being damaged in the public sector. So Netflix has said, get the fuck out of here. We don't want you. We don't need you. We're going to do our programming how we see fit, and we're going to go ahead and try to make a profit. Right? And we'll see if they can in the last bit, because as you saw, they they bleeding subscribers. But I do think that they're distinctly related. Okay. So I wanted to talk about a couple other things in this episode, and uh, it's definitely going to be shorter. As I said, I, I did not have a lot of chance to prepare for this. I'm not going to talk about the uh, the shooting. I don't have interest to talk about it. I don't have anything new to say on it. I don't think there is anything new to say on it other than to say that this is a guy who went and shot 10 black people. I, it was clearly racially, racially motivated and the media is portraying it as though it's Tucker Carlson's fault. Well, the guy's an avowed leftist. He says he's a socialist. Karl Marx was blatantly racist and railed about Jews and railed about blacks constantly, used the N-word nonstop, talked about them as inferior people. So you tell me what makes more sense, that Tucker Carlson somehow inspired this guy who is a self-acknowledged socialist and says those are his political beliefs, or that Karl Marx probably had something to do with that hatred. That's all I'm going to say about it, right? And then the media is is happy to talk about this one rather than talk about any number of other slayings by people that were also racially motivated by people on the other side of the color spectrum. But this is to be appreciated. This is to be expected. And, I don't know, will the populace accept this narrative as what it is? Will they accept the narrative that we have to crack down on gun laws once again? Or is the population once more going to say, well, you know what? 
we think there's a different societal contagion at work here that's conditioning these people. Rather than to point at mainstream media and Tucker Carlson, which he probably has not watched a single time, maybe we should point at the isolation that surrounds these kids, the depression that surrounds these kids. And also still coming out of COVID, this kid's just 18. He probably was home for the last couple of years. He was probably isolated before that. He's probably a loner and he's probably bullied and he probably had home issues, all these other things. But the mainstream media just wants you to think that well, Tucker Carlson is racist. But anyway. I'm not going to go any more on that. I don't have the interest in it. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, though, is there has been, I guess, Jordan Peterson now is off of Twitter <laughs> because, and I just saw this today, and maybe my maybe my good morning fuckhead, which you guys can go and listen to at uh, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty, or you can go to lionsofliberty.locals.com to get my daily morning rant show. Uh, it's funny. It's pointed. It's stuff you're not going to hear on this regular show if you are just a, a regular subscriber. And also, when I talk about regular subscribers, I do want to talk about something that really pissed me off, right? Notably, Mark did an episode talking about, you know, his feelings about the Mises Caucus and yada, yada, yada. You know, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Um, you know, you can have your opinion on that pro or con. We have three different shows here for a reason. And, um, you know, I am a, as I said before, I am a guy who is going to go to the caucus. Uh, I am going to be, I'm sorry, go to the, uh, the convention. I'm a supporter of the Mises caucus. I'm actually a paying dues member of the Mises caucus. And I think what they're doing has some, uh, some value and I want to see how it plays out. That's not to say that Mark is wrong on every criticism he has, but point being some assholes, think that it is a great idea now to go and write a one-star review uh, just because they got mad at Mark. And so we have a couple people now posted negative reviews on our, you know, iTunes and whatever not on the Lions Liberty Network, because I guess they don't understand the concept of the network. And the two of the three people here are actually supporting the thing that they're supporting, but yet they think it's a great idea to go and write a one-star review based upon one host opinion. If that was you and you're listening and you're still subscribing you're a fuck. You're a fucking idiot. And you're probably the person that Mark was talking about. <laughs> so go ahead and write another one because you, you're, I mean, I can't understand some people's motivation. We call ourselves logical beings right here in the libertarian movement. And again, my show, I'm trying to get away from libertarian politics. I don't, I try not to go into libertarian politics insofar as infighting on this show. I don't really have much interest in it. I'll just support what I'll support. Um, I'll cast my vote. I'll throw my money behind it, but I don't really have an interest in it. I don't think it's appealing to most people to listen, and I don't want to go on to, on diatribes about it. But when we consider how these people are supposed to be logical, it's supposed to be, you know, and, and, and we try to take a lot of emotion out of the decision-making process, which is something I'm trying to put back into it, right, with my version of preaching libertarian values to reach the broader population – but it's so funny that people pride themselves on being very practical and believe in these things, react with such childish emotion, right? And on both sides of this conversation, right? It is pathetic. So there you go. Now, getting back into this, I, um, <laughs> I thought this whole Jordan Peterson thing was funny because he had said that the, uh, let's just, let's just call her, uh, I don't know. What is he? The chunkier chick? What's her name? Um, but, 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 what's her freaking name? Yumi, Yumi New. 
Yumi new? Yumi too many new crackers. Um, Yumi new is a plus sized model, right? And I don't know. She's got an okay head. She's like Asian-y looking new. I don't know exactly what that is. Yumi sounds Japanese, but she's on the cover of Swimsuits, uh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue 2022. She's one of several people, right, on the cover of it. People are making the biggest deal about her because she is uh, not in the traditional, say, style of beauty that has been on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Of course, Sports Illustrated also had a transgender in their issues last year. They probably have one in this issue. I don't know how the sales did for last year's. I have to presume they're down. Um, Sports Illustrated sales across the board are down. Nobody really reads this publication as far as I know anymore. And the football phone isn't going to solve that. If you're not into the woke narratives they're pushing now with this issue, you're probably not interested in a football phone or a a football phone that identifies as a baseball phone. (laughs) So I had made the joke. This is a, you don't have to like this joke, ladies or men. If you're, you know, if you're into plus size women, God bless you. If you are a plus size woman and you feel very confident in in how you are and how your health is good on you. I'm not saying that beauty is one solo thing. My vision of beauty is very different from other people's, I'm sure. If you like women of this size and and girth, then great. And I'm not saying that women this size are not beautiful. But what I will say is that, you know, she's larger than you expect. And I had made the joke, for those of you that are old like me, the old Mad Magazine back covers, you know, you fold a picture that looks like something else. You fold it in half and you bring the edges together and there's the real picture. So I suggested that people could do that to get themselves what they're used to in the Sports Illustrated cover. But at the same time, the other covers had uh, a woman on it who's 74, right? Mary Musk or something, or Malon Musk. I don't know. I don't know if it's Elon Musk's mom, but she's on the cover, right? 74-year-old. And you had Kim Kardashian on the cover, which why we think that Kim Kardashian should be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Number one, Kim Kardashian is the least athletic person that has ever existed. She is a bowling ball, uh, essentially, that's been somewhat stretched out and made into a, you know, an over-surgery sex tape machine. But she's not athletic. She's not somebody who's going to be taking in sports. However, we've also seen infinitely better versions of her any time in the past 15 years. So, you know, I don't need to see her on the cover. Same thing, Russell Wilson's wife, Ciara. Why? Russell Wilson's wife, you know, someone's calling me. I don't care to see her. I don't think most people do. How about some fresh blood? You know, if you want to, can you have one standard on there that people can kind of go, okay, I can get that. I'll buy that issue. But that's what makes me think that none of this is in support of real feminism. None of this is in support of real beauty. This is all simply a play to placate, to get attention from the woke left, right? And I don't understand the move, if I'm being completely honest. Just like I don't understand Playmate uh, pivots away, right? Playboy had a transgender model in theirs. Maybe that's fun for a kick here and there, but when you have an audience that is expecting one thing, that buys a publication of one thing, to completely abdicate that audience to try to chase another one means one of two things. Number one, that the people running Sports Illustrated have completely lost the thread. They just don't get what their audience is anymore. They've been co-opted by social media pressures and by bad publicists. That's one option. Option two is that their publication has its such rock bottom insofar as people buying it for the reasons they used to buy it for, namely to see hot chicks in bikinis, which is why people bought it. Well, they said people are finding porn and everything else. There's a million hotter chicks on TikTok every single day. So people look like, well, 
we have to find a new audience. And I think that's probably what's happened is that they know they have lost their core audience and they're never going to come back. So they're just doing a dead cat bounce here, just like Playboy did. And they're going to try to go after these woke left and this new, this new arena of everybody's a beautiful, you know, beautiful woman, uh, even if you're not a woman. And we're going to sell a few issues because people will go, well, I'm going to go support them just because these, these bigots over here don't like fat people. You know, and they'll, they'll sell a few copies. They'll get some attention. But at the end of the day, I would be surprised if Sports Illustrated lasts any more than five years. But it certainly is an entertaining ride to uh, to see what everybody is saying about this online. <laughs> All right. Another thing I want to talk about. I uh, And this, you know, what's there to say? I did a good morning fuckhead on this earlier when the news broke. But Biden is sending hundreds of U.S. troops back to Somalia. And there's no reason to be in Somalia. There's absolutely fundamentally no fucking reason for us to be there. I think that between the Somalian troop deployments and the $40 billion in aid that is now being sent to Ukraine, it just got ratified by the Senate, right? Rand Paul tried to fight against it, get some oversight, didn't happen. But that $40 billion is going over there, right? Something like $400 million or $400 for an American household each that we're sending to Ukrainians. And where's this money going to? It's not going to humanitarian missions. It's not going to build uh, facilities for them. It's not going to build new bunkers. It's not going to help them escape. Maybe a, a small portion is. No, the vast amount of that money is going right here to America. We say it's going to the Ukraine. No, it's going to the same missile factories that Joe Biden has been touring. It's going to the same military industrial complex shills that Money has been going to in the name of uh, billions upon billions. I think actually over a trillion in the last couple of years, like 1.2, 1.3 trillion is the Pentagon's budget. And of course, that doesn't count all the secret spending that we don't even know about that goes to these military industrial complex uh, sources. But I have to think that the American people, once again, are going to be looking at this as they pay $6 at the pumps here in California, as they can't find baby formula on the shelves which there's no excuse for. And I'd spoke about this previously on, actually, I was just on the Hapitarians podcast too. You should guys should check that out because we were talking about the baby formula stuff. I was on with Shane, great guy, great podcast, him and Nico. So check that out too, the Hapitarians. Uh, that just came out, uh, I don't know, was it yesterday? So make sure to check that out. I also, um, but we were talking about, you know, abortion, pregnancy, baby formula. There's no reason for baby formula not to be on the shelves. So then the FDA is stupid enough that they wouldn't ratify the European standard for baby formula to have these things up and running. There's no excuse for a plant to be down this long. There's no excuse for any of this to happen, especially when you have COVID vaccines being pushed on people, especially when you have uh, Biden touring the missile facilities. You know, why, why are you not touring the baby formula facilities, right? Why are you not touring the grocery stores and, and food manufacturers to find out why the shelves are empty right now? Oh, it's because you know why. It's because you know you can go to these missile factories and you can say, well, look what we're doing to fight for democracy, right? When here at home, you can't tour the stores of the empty shelves because that's bad PR. That looks bad because they know that you're the one that caused it. With your bad COVID policies, with your lockdowns of all these different facilities that were processing plants, with your continued insistence that, or the FDA's continued insistence on their these unsustainable standards that are going to slow everything down when you do have a plant shut down. And I'm saying they shouldn't have shut the plant down. Babies got bacteria in them. Yeah, shut the plant down, man. But it's just laying bare 
right? Democrats and Republicans, and the Republicans were the only dissenters on this from what I was reading. Democrats predominantly say, yeah, send them 40 billions. The, you know, like the, the party of the people, the anti-war Democrat party that for so long had had the American worker front and center. My God, these people, we've got to protect these people's rights. Well, they're the ones that now are saying American workers, meh, chuck them on the heap. They don't matter. Their ills and ailments, their inabilities to get baby formula, their inabilities to stock the shelves and get their children groceries, their inability to even get education for their kids for the last couple of years. None of these things matter. All that matters is who's lining our pockets with donations. And that is the military industrial complex. That is the massive educational complex. And uh, we all know how the unions operate there. So it is, I think, going to lend, even though some people don't agree, is going to lend more credence to a third-party voice as we go into this next round of elections. Maybe they'll fight it tooth and nail. They always do. But when you have a crisis like this, let no good crisis go uh, go untaken advantage of it. No good crisis go to waste. There we go. Let no good crisis go to waste. And I think you're going to see historic levels of people not only abandoning the Democratic Party, but abandoning the Republican Party as well, especially those who don't like Donald Trump, especially those who don't like the war state, especially those who may be looking and saying these people are voting in lockstep to do the same shit at the same time all the time. They didn't save us during COVID. They didn't save us during this nonsense with Ukraine. We're going back into Somalia. How many billions are being sent in Somalia, right? How many billions of dollars does it cost to put up bases there for hundreds of troops to take covert actions to fight quote unquote terrorism in somewhere that is so far away and so poor, there's no chance of them coming after us in a million fucking years unless we give them a generational reason to do so. Maybe little Johnny there will get something in his brain because we killed his family and we uh, bombed a wedding. Well, now he wants to come over and do something nefarious. But even so, even so, the odds of that happening are astronomically slim. Even with all the atrocities we've committed over there, even with all the people and the blood we've spilled over there, the odds are unbelievably slim. But yet, in the interest of the American empire, we all have to pay at the pump. We all have to pay out through the nose. The IRS, I'm still working through IRS shit. You know, my wife's on the phone with them literally right now for uh, some bullshit from 2017 where they keep billing us for a bill that's already been paid. She's been on hold for, you know, 40 minutes you go on the website, it doesn't tell you how much you owe and how long your payments have gone. It just says, hey, keep paying, keep paying. This is the shit that people are dealing with. And yet, let's go send 40 billion to Ukraine. Let's go to Somalia. Let's go all these places. Just unbelievable. Um, one other thing, too, I want to talk about in regards to inflation, in regards to products getting more expensive, is the imbecilic policies here in California for minimum wage. Now, California's minimum wage is already 15 bucks, right? Well above average. But now there's a law in place, I should say there has been a law in place, that anytime there's inflation over 7%, well, the minimum wage automatically increases. So come January, our minimum wage is going to go up by 50 cents. Now, when you already have massive inflation, we know that you don't catch up to inflation quickly. Number one, wages don't, which is why they put in this place. Well, we have to keep up with the wages. But the problem is that when you have inflation, you have everything costing more from the creation of products to the shipping of products to the obtaining of products to the obtaining of raw goods and materials. Everything is connected. 
How is it that lawmakers don't seem to grasp that, right? It's the same thing. They go, well, if we just uh, mandate a minimum wage of $24, well, it's going to solve everything because then people will be able to afford apartments. No, no. It means the cost of everything else goes up that these people are working to create, you fucking imbeciles. It means that the cost of housing goes up because the demand for housing goes up. It means that landlords will charge more money knowing there's more money available out there. This is how the market operates. And these people think they can wave a wand, put a bill in here that's going to magically solve the problem. No, it's going to make it worse. It's going to exacerbate the issues. And that's exactly what's going to happen here in California. Cue the people tweeting at me, Brian, escape California. Well, trust me. It may come to a head, but not before I host Robbie the Fire here on his porch tour. Yes, guys, this weekend, if you're hearing this, if you're listening to it on the week of uh, before May 21st, right? May 21st is when the show is Saturday. If you're listening to the Wednesday before that, you can still buy your ticket to come out, see me do about 10, 15 minutes of stand-up. Robbie the Fire is going to rack it out with about you know, 30, 40 minutes, and then we're going to do a live podcast here for Run Your Mouth at my house. I got a little stage I'm setting up in the patio here in the backyard. BYOB. You can still get the tickets. We're going to drink here. Show starts at 6. Runs about 10 hanging out. And then we're going to go to a local bar, local watering hole right down the street from me. So if you've ever wanted to hang out with me and Robbie, come on out. Now is your one and only chance to see what my bushes look like. Yes. I'm talking about my pubic hair and my leaves. So make sure to do that, guys. I'll put the uh, link in the show notes, or you can just search for Robbie the Fire Porch Tour Los Angeles on Eventbrite. It'll pop right up for you. Do it to it. All right. Um, rounding out the show, as uh, this is going to be a, a shorter show just because, like I said, I'm, my brain's just not, not in it. Uh, is something really, really fascinating. Really fucked. Oh, I forgot to make my joke about Somalia that Biden thought the inflation monster lived there and he's going to send the troops out to kill the inflation monster. That's going to be his Osama bin Laden moment. We got him. We got him. And they'll hold up like a chuka, like a, like a Somalian in a chupacabra costume. <laughs> they'll put a Somalian in like a Bigfoot, Bigfoot costume and then shoot him in the fucking face. Um, okay. So this was so, so fascinating. Meet the press. Right, hosted by Chuck Todd, uh, supposedly a man who is a neutral journalist, but Meet the Press hosted a war game. They, they and they termed it as such. This is from a tweet from Meet the Press, and uh, of course their episode is on, uh, I guess, Peacock TV, and you know it runs on NBC. But go inside our exclusive war game with CNASDC. Now CNAS is the Center for a New American Security and developed strong, pragmatic, and principled national security and defense policies. Now, if you think that this is a Washington, D.C. think tank that is, of course, supported by plenty of government money, well, I'm sure that you are exactly correct, right? You can even support them, though. Oh, isn't that nice? It's an independent, bipartisan, nonprofit org, meaning that they, of course, again, they get a shit ton of money from the government. But remember, it's bipartisan because we know that both parties are working together in order to ship more money to the military industrial complex and to keep us in a constant state of war as a distraction. Now, the crazy thing about this, and I'll, I'll play this video. It's about two and a half minutes long, and then I'll come back and talk about it. But here's how they describe it. The year is 2027, right? So guys, don't get too comfortable. It's right around the corner. Five years away, we're going to be at war with China. The briefing. 
China is poised to attack Taiwan. Which side would prevail? Would China attack the U.S. mainland? Could nuclear war break out? Watch the full episode of Bumpa. So let me play this little trailer trailer for you, and then uh, we'll come back and discuss this because this is just fucking unbelievable. Meet the press. Meet the propaganda. Yeah, let me mute myself, and we'll play this episode. Welcome back. In our final episode of this season's Meet the Press Reports, we put together a remarkable war game simulation of how the U.S. might react if China invaded Taiwan. The National Security Think Tank Center for a New American Security, or CNAS, convened two teams. The blue team, representing the United States, and the red team, representing China. Which side would prevail? Would China attack the U.S. mainland? Could nuclear war break out? The conflict takes place in 2027. There are three rounds of strategy, and I spoke to the game master after each round to see where the conflict stood. Here's a look. As you can see here on the map is a very large concentration of Chinese People's Liberation Army forces at potential ports of debarkation for an invasion. We want to focus on uh, a last-ditch effort to deter. This is a time to be sending the strongest possible message to Beijing, both privately and publicly, that there will be very severe costs if they actually go through with this. China has sort of seen our reaction to Ukraine, and we want to make sure that, that we're surprising them with how we react here. Hit the Americans as hard as we possibly can in the Western Pacific, keep them out of the fight while we move on Taiwan. I would support uh, early knockout punch against Guam. The priority for the first 24 hours is to try to go as fast as possible against Taipei, right? I think it matters to deter United States, Japan, Australia, and other countries from intervening. All right, Stacey, high level here. What just happened with move one? China's invaded Taiwan. It began by attacking Taiwan's outlying islands near the mainland. Then it followed it with a large uh, air and missile strike on Taiwan and on U.S. bases in Japan and on U.S. bases in Guam and the Northern Marianas. In response to that, the United States followed up with bomber attacks on, US on Chinese ships in port. And there was an air battle over Taiwan where American aircraft flying from the Philippines came in and um, engaged in combat with Chinese aircraft that were trying to bomb Taiwan. Okay, so there you go. We've seen now we are already, according to one senator, right? Uh, it seems like we're already at war with Russia, at least uh, from a slip of the tongue over Ukraine, right? And we are basically at war with Russia. When you talk about sanctions, when you talk about supplying armament and sending $40 billion used for military weaponry to the Ukraine when we're providing them with support, with tactical uh, support, and with informational support as far as who to target, where to target, using our satellite technology, et cetera, we are essentially at war with Russia. No one's outwardly saying it, but we are in a, uh, I don't even know what you call it, a lukewarm war with Russia currently. And this is over fucking bullshit Ukraine, which really doesn't fucking matter. Then you got Taiwan, which we have long said is you know, an ally of ours and Taiwan. We, will, we won't let the Chinese take Taiwan, even though what are we going to do about it? Number one, they have nukes, just like Russia, just like with Ukraine, which is the reason why we can't go in with our own troops, because what are we going to do about it? We're two nuclear armed countries. They're much closer. They have vastly easier ways to take troops in and out of that region to get their ships, to get their bombers, to get their everything to that region. 
Why the fuck would we even engage with it? But no, remember, so I wanted to play that clip to the end so you could hear that. Oh, this all starts over Taiwan. Just to condition you guys for China, when they take Taiwan, and they will, right? I said this before, they will, and there ain't shit we can do about it, and there's nothing we should do about it. Buy Taiwan, you're part of China now. Sorry, that's the way it is. Taiwan is not an ally of ours that we need to get in a nuclear war over, that we need to send ships over, that we need to risk not only American lives, but people in the Philippines. Okay, do the Philippines want to get dragged into a war with China because we have bases there? I'm sure they don't. We talk about, again, conditioning the American population to accept this, not as a possibility, but as a fact. And through these garbage games, and we look at the way this is playing out, right? You've got basically what's a risk board, which is just hilariously embarrassing. You'd think it'd be more sophisticated, wouldn't you? You'd think they'd have some sort of you know, interactive technology on the table. It shouldn't be that expensive. But no, they're talking through it, and they're playing risk. But just like with all the games that are coordinated uh, for COVID, right? With the uh, the World Economic Forum and all these other different think tanks out there, that war game, what would happen during a pandemic response? That war game, what would happen if a terrorist attack was to happen in L.A.? You know, they in L.A., they legitimately had one of these war games playing out what would happen if there's a terrorist attack. Scared the living shit out of most of the people in Los Angeles downtown because they were flying Black Hawk helicopters around. Didn't tell anybody in advance. They are conditioning the population, to accept this war as an inevitability. Why are they doing that? Well, because clearly the American population is not pro-war. The latest polls say that the American population does not want us to give support to the Ukraine. They do not want us to get into war with Russia. They do, I guarantee they don't want us to get into war with China. I have to ask myself now at this point in time, right, after we see $40 billion given to the Ukraine, or to Ukraine. I'd like to see the poll, but of course, no one will answer it honestly. But I would bet you, I would bet you, my left nut, that if most Americans answered honestly the following poll question, you would see a shocking result. That question is this. Would you prefer that Russia simply lose the war? Or maybe make it even simpler. Are you rooting for Ukraine to lose at this point in time? Because I think that most people are. I think most Americans want this to go away, want to resume normalcy, want to feel that we're not going to be at the brink of nuclear war. They want to see their prices for gasoline go down. They want to see their fertilizer coming over so that we can grow the crops here because the Russia, they send over a massive amount of, I think it's like, God, what is it? It's not only just fertilizer, but it's also raw goods that are put into fertilizers. I think it's some sort of mineral compounds they send over here or ash. I mean, all sorts of stuff gets sent over here that we use in the farming capabilities of the country. And I'm sure California, the breadbasket of America, I'm sure we use a ton of it. And this is, again, the problem when we look at the future of our food sustainability in this country and whether or not be able to grow products might depend pretty heavily on this war with Russia and Ukraine. But we've brought this on ourselves by having these sanctions, by declaring that it's Ukraine or die, Ukraine forever, right? We didn't have to cut off our Russian imports. We did that voluntarily to hurt Putin, and it hasn't worked. Hasn't worked. But I think most people would tell you, if they're speaking in their heart of hearts, that they would much rather just have the Ukraine lose tomorrow. Be done with it. 
On the same note, if Russia, or I'm sorry, if China invades Taiwan, I think most people would simply wish for a quick and easy takeover that's not going to disrupt our lives over here in America because there's simply no good reason to do it. There's no tangible effect here at home other than to displace the supply chain. And we, we demand a, an unbelievable amount of goods from China. And the pro-America zealots will say, well, we need to make everything here at home. Well, maybe, maybe as far as energy, maybe you could argue that we should have more capability for production here at home. But there's a reason that we don't have that. There's a reason that we have gone to other countries to get these textile products, to get these cheap, easy goods. It's because they're better at making them cheaply and easily, more easily than we are. This is the whole point. This is the whole way economics works as far as specializing. The U.S. has just turned its decisions to specialize in service industries, professional services, in very specific forms of manufacturing. You know, these are the things we've developed into as our evolution as a country has come along. We still make some things, but other countries just make them better. They make them cheaper. They make them far more affordable to the general population. And it's going to greatly hurt the people here to say, well, cut off that spigot. Just like with the gasoline, if you cut off the import of Chinese goods, let's say we have a war with China and we cut off that import of goods, you're going to see shortages like you won't fucking believe on shit that you never realized you needed so badly. So these monsters, these animals, these self-interested, blood-soaked, money, you know, swimming in cash like Scrooge McDuck motherfuckers are trying to condition you to learn that you have an inevitable responsibility to go to war with China. Don't accept it, baby. Don't accept it. All right. That's going to do it for the show. I think, we'll, I think we're going to bring in uh, uh, well, some sponsors next week I'll talk about, but I will uh, leave that because we got to do some widgeting in the background or something like that. But regardless, that's going to do it for me, guys. Brian McWilliams here. Don't forget, we have three shows. So you can go, if you have a problem with one of the shows, you can go right to review on that show's specific feed because we have three feeds. Yes, three. We've got my my feed, Mean Age Daydream. You can go find it. I'd love it if you guys go and give me a five-star review and give me a write-up. I'd greatly appreciate that. It would really help. We've got Mark's show, Mark Claire, uh, Lions Liberty with Mark Claire. You can go to that feed if you have a problem with Mark Claire, and you can give that a star review. That, look how that works out. You don't have to lump everybody in like an imbecile. Or you can go listen to Finding Freedom with John Odermott. He has his own feed as well. Look how that works, guys. Amazing. And don't forget to listen to The Boring Podcast, B-O-H-R-I-N-G, the funniest podcast you jerk-offs have never listened to. And I know a lot of you haven't because this show gets thousands and thousands of downloads, and that one does not. So do your favor. Check it out. Come here. Come to my house if you're in L.A. or the California, San Diego region. I'd love to have you here, have a beer with you, chat, do some stand-up comedy. Going to be a good time. Uh, otherwise, guys, uh, enjoy your lives. Hopefully, I'm in a better mood in a couple of days. Hopefully, my life has gotten less stressful. Hopefully, my clients haven't fired me. And uh, till then, <laughs> keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that ray gun to my head.